electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, seeing the end of the global pandemic. Vaccine supply and optimism for Americans with Dr. Scott Gottlieb. I do believe by early April, this is going to be wide open in many states. You're going to see broad availability of the vaccine. That supply is going to exceed demand. And what that optimism means for state reopenings. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. Some states are not opening up any of their businesses at all. Some have opened everything with no distancing requirements or mass mandates. I think we found the exact right sweet spot. Those stories plus airline travel is picking up finally, and Elon Musk has dubbed himself royalty in the realm. It's really tech, no king. That's right, depending on the emphasis on the wrong syllables. It's Monday, March 15th, 2021. Beware the Ides of March. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up today on the podcast, The Markets, on this Monday. Bitcoin surged over the weekend. The move Saturday was the first time the price of the cryptocurrency topped $60,000, and it quickly surged above $61,000 before pulling back. Bitcoin's price has more than doubled in 2021 after quadrupling last year. It's hard to say what pushed this particular move. Investors concerned about possible inflation or enthusiasm over the stimulus spending about to hit the U.S. economy. Bitcoin does have a place in our now daily quick check of the newsiest data points that matter to the markets, the five-item squawk stack. Guys, we have to bring up the squawk stack again. Based on this, Bitcoin better be back in that stack. I forget where we left it on Friday. Let's see. Yes, it is. Yes, it, it is. is. Yep. It is. Hey, GameStop's up five five percent too. Yeah, that's 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 kind of this is our default uh, squawk stack, I would say uh, for now. Can we put one of the airlines in there? I want to put one of the airlines in there because we now we're going to talk a little is bit. Is it moving? Bit. It has to be moving. Well, it can't be. It doesn't have to. No, it doesn't have to be moving. That's yeah, the thing. This it is my squawk stack. It's got to be moving. I mean, we'll, uh, you, it, we have stuff in there that's you don't like watching moving. paint dry. What's not moving? We have stuff in there what? that's hardly moving. What? Otherwise, we could just we What's could just do moving? a Nasdaq hot futures or hot Nasdaq or not. futures. Nasdaq futures. Nasdak Nasdak futures. Futures. What's Nasdaq futures do? What's Dow futures do? You Nothing. Could, well, don't do Zero. an then, then do a. We could do the the index, I guess. By the way, why are we watching the Nasdaq 100? That's yeah. yeah I don't know. That's that's one. I mean, we watched it last yeah. week. It was the weakest, but it did. That was the one that when we were looking at the initial trade on that. Remember Friday? We had some really big, scary moves in the Nasdaq a week ago, Friday and then Monday. But then for the week, it was less than the Dow, but it was still up 3 percent, wasn't it, last week? I think that the how does like was, a, I don't even know what it's trading. Yeah, the Dow was a 4 percent. How does like a Spotify do on a, day after the, on a day after the Grammys? Maybe you put, maybe you put some newsy. Newsy stocks in there. Oh, man. <laughs> That's I, what you I, were it, watching. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just saying. And a directive this morning to all humble citizens of Wall Street. The esteemed Elon Musk has been proclaimed techno king of Tesla. 
the hand of the king, the hand of the king and uh, uh, master of coin, uh, which will tell you Chief Financial Officer Zach Kirkhorn uh, has earned that moniker, master of coin. We're not joking. The news uh, comes from uh, coming from Tesla this morning in an official SEC filing. Musk will remain chief executive officer. Kirkhorn will stay CFO in addition. In addition to the new title, seems a bit early. Uh, April Fool's Day isn't uh, for another two weeks. For another two weeks. Becky, what do you think? My biggest, my biggest problem with it, did they realize before they put this out that by ramming it together, techno king, it's really tech no king? Oh, that's right. Depending on uh, what the emphasis on the wrong syllables uh, and, and how you right. do it. Maybe techno king. A, 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 yeah, techno king. A dash. Uh, a dash. Man. I like the master of coin. More space. Who was uh, the master of coin? Do you guys remember in, in Game of Thrones? It eventually became. No. Uh, tier, tier, what was. Uh, uh, they're great characters on there, but you don't remember Master of Coin. Did you watch it, Sorkin? No, you watch Master it, didn't of the you? Coin of the Realm. I only watched the first season. Master. Oh, I want to know if the board. Did the board give these titles? Did they have to approve this? How did this. How does this uh, work? I'm, I'm guessing no. It's probably a move the CEO made. The board probably doesn't sign off on that, but it reminds me of Yahoo. Remember when everybody had crazy titles at, when they worked at Yahoo? No. Really? Yeah. There were some weird ones. Ireland and the Netherlands have now suspended administration of the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine. It follows reports of blood clotting in some European recipients. Now, Denmark, Norway, and Iceland have already suspended the vaccine after Norway's medical agency reported a cluster of serious blood clotting cases among vaccinated people. The WHO and European health authorities said there is no connection between the vaccine and blood clotting. That vaccine is not approved, however, in the United States. And a big debate about the United States, which I, I, my understanding is they have some of this. We, we have a supply of this. Uh, and there's a debate whether we should be giving it back. That's, uh, and you hear these weird anecdotal uh, evidence, uh, not evidence, but strange things that happen with some of these vaccines. I don't know what to, what to ascribe it to. You know, did you see Marvin Hagler, the marvelous Marvin, passed away? And Tommy Hearns, remember yeah. hit, Tommy Hitman Hearns, said something about Marvin Hagler it was in ICU from a vaccine. Right. And I, I have no idea whether that's, it, it didn't but seem to be. That's not that what his wife's statement said. I don't know. It didn't yeah. seem what Marvin Hagler's family was saying. So you don't, uh, you don't know. And then the, yeah. the blood clotting is certainly uh, concerning. And then you see those individual cases where a young, young mother was, I don't know, what was she? She was in her 30s or 40s, died after this second set. So you see those things, but I, I don't know. You know, it, it, the, the, we're quick to mention it in, in a lot of different parts of the press, but I'm not sure whether there's any reason to think with such huge uh, trials that have been done for safety and not seeing things like that, it's hard to really say that, that you know, you need a lot more before you ascribe it. It doesn't, to, dis to it the doesn't dissuade me from wanting the shot. No, no, <laughs> and it wouldn't. Air travel in the meantime is picking up. TSA officers screened more than 1.3 million people on Friday. That's the highest number of passengers on a single day in a year. At the low point in April of last year, only 87,000 passengers were screened. Friday's passenger count was down nearly 38% from the same day in 2019, so two years ago. Can I just say, we're a year, year out from the original conversation about bailouts, and you know where I'm about to go with this when it comes to airlines. Did we really have to bail out the airlines? Think about all of the money that's chasing all of these different investment opportunities now. Companies that are not going to make money till 2020, 
25, 26, 27, SPACs, craziness is going on. Look at what's happened to the cruise business. There was private capital for these businesses. There always was private capital. I think for, the question, though, I, I, it's a valid question to ask, but I think the question on the other side is what would have happened to the employees of the airlines? Right. Because left to their own devices, they may have laid off all of those employees. There was no need to keep them around. And oh, the question was always 100%. how would the government pay for them and, and what was more expensive for the government to keep them in their jobs with their health care or to put them on the unemployment lines and then be picking up things there for them and for, you know, health care costs along the way. I understand. It's I, just I think the, that was a question. The, you could, you could reason, definitely have the argument. Well, we, you we, be we happy decided that, that this was you a should particularly be happy unique. still there. You should be happy you're looking at a viable airline. And it's because I, I know you're not going to drive places and you're a you love going on, on really exotic, beautiful, expensive vacations. Like, where's that place you went to, Bhutan or something? I mean, you've been everywhere. You're not walking there. So you need it. Don't act like you don't need it. You need the airline. And we all, you're, you're all for spending $1.9 trillion to throw I'm more not, at it. <laughs> but I'm not, throw, Joe. I thought you, we were supposed you, to err on the side of, of, get, of doing more. And then if some of it falls through the cracks... Fine, you know, Museum of Modern, Modern Art, a couple of things here, a couple of things well, there. Did you, We're the, throwing the other question is, We need the airline industry. We need those employees, and we don't need, is, Joe, you know, we to, need the employees, to, to monitor we those babies the, in first class, to make sure none of those children Joe, get in first class if, when you're on. I'm glad, I'm glad that you like to socialize losses and, uh, and, and you love crony <laughs> capitalism. Okay. But, but that's, that's the exactly one place you... It's just like that's some exactly weird. That's exactly what's happened here. I don't know. Here. It's, I think that's it's because exactly of the roots. That's exactly what's happened here. Okay. This All is right. the ultimate we example where we have socialized losses. That's the only time you have a problem with it. The CEOs have taken so much in profits uh, after after years of buybacks. We've seen it here. And my, the only point that I'm making is, with a little bit of perspective, a year later, given how much money is sloshing around this market being put into uh, businesses that have no chance of making money for years upon years to think that there was no private market that would have done this. And the taxpayers put this money in with very little upside. Think about where the stocks of the airlines were a year ago where they, compared to where they are today and the benefit that the taxpayer is not getting. That's the only point I'm making. Do I want to help the airline um, uh, that's uh, what employees, it was about. 100%. 100%. No, what, that was Do the I want to help the airline shareholders? Absolutely not. And you shouldn't either, Joe. Oh, okay. And don't, so, don't, so Andrew, I'm, your thought <laughs> is that this should just be, if they had gotten some sort of a, a stake in the we companies. We got warrants. You know, Mnuchin, like, Mnuchin, Mnuchin negotiated for Mnuchin warrants. Mnuchin did that the first time around, right. Very, very, very tiny, a sliver. It was like it, baby money. And when you think about what's happened to these airlines and what the taxpayer put up, the risk that we put on, and what's happened on the other side, I, I'm just saying I think with a little bit of perspective, now that we have a year, you could say was it, was it a mistake not to negotiate, at minimum, not to negotiate harder? How about that? I don't know. I'm not, I, will, I can tell you, I will never tell you how to think. Andrew, about things we disagree with, because we're going to disagree. Okay. I would never presume to tell you that. And, um, you know, and I'm not going to I'm not going to change the way I think because you told me I had to. Next on Squawk Pod, coronavirus cases may be ticking up in Europe, but Dr. Scott Gottlieb is optimistic about the pandemic timeline here at home. Now I think the tables have turned. We're ahead of Europe. I don't think that the conditions in Europe and the situation in Europe is necessarily predictive anymore of what's going to happen here because we have much more immunity in our population.
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. Let's get to the fight against COVID. Dr. Fauci warning against lifting too many U.S. restrictions right now. If you look at the numbers that have gone down, they've gone down so nicely in a very steep decline. But in the last couple of weeks, we've had a plateauing of infections. And the thing that concerns me, because history proves that I should be concerned, is that when you get a plateau at a level around 60,000 new infections per day, there's always the risk of another surge. And that's the thing we really want to avoid because we are going in the right directions. That's why I get so anxious when I hear pulling back completely on public health measures, like saying no more masks, no nothing like that. I mean, that is a risky business when you do that. And he's also pointing to a surge of cases in Europe as a cautionary tale. Joining us right now to talk more about this is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's former FDA commissioner and CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of Illumina and Pfizer. And in his latest op-ed in The Wall Street Journal, he talks about what we can expect from schools this coming fall. Scott, first of all, I want to thank you because you've been with us every week for the last year, helping guide us through what's happening with these things. And I have to say, I've been feeling pretty good about the direction we're headed in the United States with the states with the case count coming down, with vaccinations really happening at a pretty rapid clip. And then you read what's happening in Europe and how things are on the rise there once again. Now, we're in a different boat. We are getting vaccines out there more quickly. But do we need to worry about another upswing in cases here? Well, look, I think we should be concerned um, that things can turn in a direction that we're not predicting. But right now, you're seeing B117 become pretty prevalent across the United States. It's more than 50 percent of cases in Texas and Florida and Southern California. Um, And you're not seeing the big upswing in cases that we might have expected once that variant uh, claimed hold in the United States. And probably the reason is that we have a lot of prior infections, so there's a lot of immunity already in the population, and we're vaccinating very aggressively against it. So whereas Earlier, I said we were sort of four to maybe six weeks behind Europe, and we pretty much were. Everything that happened in Europe eventually happened here. Now I think the tables have turned. We're ahead of Europe. I don't think that the conditions in Europe and the situation in Europe is necessarily predictive anymore of what's going to happen here, because we have much more immunity in our population, both from prior infection, which they have as well, but also now from vaccinations. So the fact that we haven't seen um, the, the sort of coronavirus upsurge again, have a fourth wave, even as B117 becomes the prevalent strain across the United States, I think bodes well. The one part of the country I'm a little bit worried about, we've talked about this, is New York, because this 1526 mutation is gaining a foothold here. And at least half of the cases of 1526 have that same mutation as the South African variant, that 484K mutation that could make it um, more resistant to our vaccines and make it more likely that people get reinfected. We really don't understand that mutation well, but that is a cause for concern. So we need to watch that pretty closely. Hey, Scott, just in terms of the vaccine rollout, I I mean, it it seems to me that things are really moving along at a rapid clip. You're seeing millions of people getting vaccinated every day. 
Um, but this weekend, Dr. Fauci was also talking about some of the concerns about people who won't get vaccinated, who don't want to get this vaccine at this point. We've got to dissociate political persuasion from what's common sense, no-brainer public health things. The history of vaccinology has rescued us from smallpox, from polio, from measles, from all of the other diseases. What is the problem here? This is a vaccine that is going to be life-saving for millions of people. Where do we stand on that? I know you've said that by, by May, or, you know, maybe even earlier, by April, we could have a glut of these vaccines sitting around. But what's going yeah. to happen? How, how quickly can we get, convince those people that they should get vaccinated? Yeah, I do believe by, by early April, this is going to be wide open in many states. You're going to see broad availability of the vaccine that um, supply is going to exceed demand. That doesn't mean everyone's going to be able to get it April 1st, but I think everyone's going to be able to schedule an appointment at some point in early April. I mean, we've already seen Michigan do that. That's both good news and bad news. It's good news because it's going to be broader availability. It's bad news insofar as it means demand isn't as brisk. And this is what we've predicted, that as you move down the age continuum, you're going to see that demand isn't as deep as it was for the older individuals. And so you're going to have to do more to try to stimulate demand. I don't think it's just vaccine hesitancy. There are some people who are hesitant to get the vaccine, but I think it's going to be a little bit of complacency among younger people um, and also an issue of convenience. It's not so easy to get vaccinated. So people who work nine to nine, take care of families, can't go online, schedule an appointment, show up at a designated time to get vaccinated. So we're going to need to open clinics that are 24-7, no, no appointment required, just show up. We're going to need to find ways to get vaccines into the hands of doctors in hard-to-reach communities so that we can have trusted intermediaries vaccinating individuals. And we're going to need to do more to stimulate demand. We have not been stimulating demand. There's been very few commercials. I mean, there are some in Connecticut. Connecticut's actually been doing a good job with public service <laughs> campaigns, but most of the states are not doing that because they've been reluctant to, because they said, well, we have more demand and supply. We shouldn't be trying to stimulate additional demand. The problem is that's not something, as you know, that you can just turn on. You can't suddenly start running commercials and stimulate a whole bunch of demand. We need to be doing this from the outset. So we need to really start doing that right now, starting a message to younger individuals who may feel less at risk for COVID that they too should get vaccinated. Andrew? Hey, Scott. I just wanted to uh, go back to this. This And maybe it's going to sound selfish, but we all uh, live and work around New York City uh, at the moment. Um, <laughs> In terms of this variant, you, you said you're concerned about it, but for those people who are getting vaccines now, um, how should they change their behavior or not relative to somebody who might be getting that vaccine in Chicago or in San Francisco or in Austin, Texas? Do you see a distinction in terms of what the behavior should be after getting vaccinated? Yeah, that's, that's the problem. We don't really know. Um, you know. Right now, most people would say no because this 1526 variant isn't well understood. People don't necessarily believe that it's like the South African variant 1351, but half of the cases of 1526, and if you look on the New York City website right now in terms of the sequences that they've done, they've done about 5,000, maybe 6,000 sequences, almost 1,000 of them are this, this 1526 mutation. Some of the sequencing they're doing is biased in the direction of trying to discover that mutation. Some of it is not. So we don't know the true prevalence of it. And about half of the cases of 1526 have that 484K mutation, that specific change to the receptor binding domain that's in a South African variant that we believe makes that variant um, more impervious to vaccination or more impervious to some of the vaccines. Now, 1526 is a different variant. There might be more cross immunity from prior infection or from the vaccine to other parts of that 
virus. So we really don't know the answer to that question. And that's what's concerning right now. We're at this sort of um, difficult period, this uncertain period where this variant is spreading. We don't really understand it. Now, I spent a lot of time over the weekend talking to people who have a lot of expertise in this. They think eventually B117 is going to overtake 1526, become the prevalent strain in New York and crowd it out. And so that may happen. I think we're really in this sort of uncertain period right now for the next two weeks or so that we don't really understand which direction this new variant is going in. And the other pro- part of the problem here is that cases in New York have sort of plateaued. Hospitalizations are still going down, but much more slowly. So the question is, how do you explain that? It might be, it might be just behavior, people just going out more. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again later this week. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the next phase of COVID relief. We'll talk to Maryland Governor Larry Hogan about that and bipartisanship under President Biden. I think it was a missed opportunity on the stimulus bill. I think we could have reached a compromise that uh, took care of a lot of the needs that are out there and gotten Republicans on board, and we missed that boat. Plus, a soothsayer bids you to celebrate the Ides of March. Guess how many years I've worn this tie on March 15th? We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Joe? The U.S. has now administered well above 100 million doses of the coronavirus vaccine, but Dr. Anthony Fauci is warning that prematurely pulling back from public health measures uh, could prolong the coronavirus pandemic. On Fox News yesterday, Fauci said a spike in cases in Europe uh, can be attributed at least in part to safety measures being relaxed. Our next guest uh, leads a state that's going through the reopening process right now. Let's welcome Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. As of Friday, the governor lifted capacity limits on dining, retail, and religious institutions. Mass mandates and distancing protocols remain in place in public places. Governor, thanks for joining us. The, the lead Morning. story I see is uh, Hogan's decision to reopen surprised local officials. Was it he blindsided a, a few people. The restaurant uh, industry was was pleased. I guess there were uh, other officials or other uh, people with stakes that were very displeased. Um, how did the what, well, what went into the decision? To, uh, yeah, what went into the decision? It, well, so we have uh, been really trying throughout the entire pandemic to find that right balance. Uh, you know, we're obviously focused on the on the health side and on the health of our economy and. Uh, worrying about our small businesses and putting people back to work. And so we, we did find that kind of middle ground, I think. We didn't uh, lift all of the restrictions like some states did. We didn't lift the mask mandate or distancing requirements for, for those businesses. But we simply 
raise the uh, the overall capacity limits, which is helping some of our small businesses get safely back to work. The environment is very politically charged around the country right now. You saw the, the backlash that, that uh, Governor Abbott in Texas received in, in Mississippi. I, I didn't understand that, that Maryland would, would be the next state uh, to, to go that route. But it, it was a well, little we bit we uh, did not go that route. We, uh, you know, some states are not opening up any of their businesses at all and keeping everything locked down. Some have opened everything with no distancing requirements or mass mandates. I think we found the exact right sweet spot. And it's overwhelmingly uh, popular in our state. I mean, I know there were a couple of people complaining about it. You can't make everybody happy. But, uh, you know, Dr. Robert Redfield, the former CDC director, uh, leads a team of uh, epidemiologists and public health doctors that we consulted with on this. Our health metrics are better than they've been in months. We have a 3% positivity rate. We're one of the best in the country as far as case rates. Our hospitalizations are down to an all-time low. Uh, so all, all of the health metrics told us that it was uh, we were able to, as long as we kept some mitigation, uh, it, we have, we have, we're number one in America for compliance with masks. So it's one of the reasons why our health metrics are so good, and we, we kept that in place. I, I hate labels, but you're you're kind of a Republican in a in a blue state. Did you like this? Did you, did you like the stimulus deal? Did you like the, the? You hear a lot of Republicans saying this is awful. We're bailing out blue states. You're probably welcoming it. I'm sure you can use the help in Maryland. Well, it's a, I, I sort of had a, a, a interesting position. I mean, for eight months, uh, I was leading the fight for the last stimulus bill uh, when when we desperately needed the help. In this case. I was the chairman of the National Governors Association then, fighting on behalf of all the governors. We had nearly unanimous support for the last bill. Um, this one, we were pushing for a bipartisan compromise. And I, I talked with, the, uh, with President Biden in the, in the Oval Office about the, the need to try to reach a middle ground where he could get Republicans on board. We talked about the fact that there were way too many things, in my opinion, that were loaded onto the bill. Uh, we did need some relief. There are an awful lot of people out there hurting, and the, the, this uh, Relief Act is going to provide some assistance to people that desperately need it. But it was also loaded up with probably about a, a, a trillion dollars of extra stuff that we didn't really need, and, and that's why there were no Republican supporters uh, you know, across the country. You also are kind of are walking the line on, on infrastructure. We got a pretty big bill that we've already racked up. If we, what kind of infrastructure would you be in favor of on, on a federal level from the Biden administration? So for, I also talked with the president about that just a couple of weeks ago and, and told him again, I think this is a real opportunity for us to find bipartisan consensus. It's what Republicans and Democrats have said for years needs to be a top priority. We don't agree on every uh, possible solution. And I haven't seen what their bill is going to look like exactly, but uh, the governors did unanimously submit a report to Congress and to the White House. I've talked with Secretary Buttigieg about it, talked briefly with the president and vice president about it. We've uh, informed leaders of Congress, but it's a balanced approach. We got the input of Republican and Democratic governors, folks from government at all levels and from the private sector, encouraging uh, the use of P3s. You know, we're building the largest uh, public-private partnership on a transit project in North America, the Purple Line outside of Washington. And we're also, uh, with private sector investment, uh, doing the biggest uh, traffic relief uh, program in, in the country with fixing the Capitol Beltway and uh, the, uh, the American Legion Bridge that connects Maryland and Virginia across the Potomac River. What can we glean from the way that the stimulus bill was passed in terms of your uh, hoping for some bipartisanship 
on the infrastructure bill. Do you, do you, are you optimistic or was that, was the writings on the wall for it's not going to go that way at this point? Well, I, I, I feel very strongly that if the Biden administration is going to have success and and getting Republican support on anything in the future, that they've really got to try to work hard on this next opportunity. I think it was a missed opportunity on the stimulus bill. I think we could have reached a compromise that uh, took care of a lot of the needs that are out there and gotten Republicans on board. And we missed that boat. I think infrastructure hope may be the next opportunity for that to happen, because if we can't find any agreement on an issue like this that everybody uh, has been saying is a top priority, rebuilding America's crumbling infrastructure, then I'm not sure uh, where we're going to find compromise. Uh, so I, I think it's important. I think it's in their best interest uh, in the Biden administration. They have a very slim minority in the, in the Senate and a pretty slim one in the House. And if they're going to get anything done, um, they really should try to uh, work work across the uh, the aisle to get some support. Hey, hey, Governor, um, it's Becky here. I, I wanted to ask you, um, hate crimes on Asian Americans has increased by 150 percent in the year 2020. I know this is something you've spoken out against. Uh, your wife's Asian American. It's impacted your family. What do you think's happening yeah. and how do we stop it? Well, it's really, uh, you know, President Biden mentioned this in his uh, speech the other day, and I uh, thanked him for that. Uh, you know, my wife is born in South Korea and we've got three daughters and I've got four grandkids that are, you know, all all impacted by this. And they've got friends that are have been personally, uh, you know, people, you know, going up to folks in grocery stores and telling them to go back to China. Anyone who looks Asian, we've seen attacks on Asian Americans all across the country. And while hate crimes in general uh, last year, surprisingly, were down seven percent across the country, they're up 150 percent among Asians. And it's, uh, it's coming from all directions, and it's something that doesn't get that much attention. Uh, you don't hear a lot about that in the media. It's sort of a, sometimes Asians are the forgotten minority, in my opinion. Uh, but it's something we need to address, and I'm going to keep trying to, uh, trying to bring it to people's attention and kind of come up with some ideas on how we can, how we can stop it. Yep, that's, that's, uh, that is something we all hope for, uh, Governor. That, that's for sure. Thank you. We appreciate, uh, we appreciate you coming on uh, uh, this morning. You... Uh, you're going to run into a buzzsaw at Connecticut, don't you think? Are you? Uh, what, what do you think about that game, the, the Terps versus? Uh, you think? Are, are well, you, you know, I've got to. I've got to be hopeful, right? I've got to. I've got to be pulling for the yeah. Terps, uh, but it's it's an uphill battle, no question about that. Uphill but thank you very yeah. much for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank, thanks for uh, joining us today. Big day. It is the Ides of March. Uh, you know what it means, Becky and. This tie, I wear this tie on my son's birthday because it has Scotty dogs, Scotty dogs on it. Yep. It's, it, <laughs> and, and you can tell how old he's getting by how wide this tie is. Uh, but I don't care. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still wearing it. Uh, guess how many years I've worn this tie on March 15th? That, then you'll, get, you'll be able to guess his age. Huh? 18? 19. Is he 18? 19. 19. Oh, my gosh. Squawk viewers have, have seen him crawling around the set, and he was such a cute little guy. He still is cute. Uh, anyway, he is uh, 19 years old and going to college. He's handsome now. He's 19. I know. College, uh, where he wants to go, and, and film. And it's also Oscar Day, Oscar nomination, so that's like a birthday present uh, for him. He's been on a lot with his 
a sister, and it's amazing. Oh, wow. Our viewers, <laughs> <Good old Lisa. laughs> our viewers have seen our kids grow up from um, yep. from zero. Well, not zero, I guess, uh, but from when they were a year old all the way up to where now get getting teary okay. again. You're, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's the best thing, obviously. It uh, is. If you don't have happy kids, birthday, then, that's fine too. But uh, happy birthday. Yep. But happy birthday, Scotty. It's awesome. You're you're an unbelievable uh, young man. So proud uh, of you. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. If you'd be so kind, rate or review Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.